All right, go ahead and open up to 1 John chapter 4. We are moving quite along in the letters of John. We live in a world full of false teachers. Everywhere we turn, we are being um, just face-to-face with any and everything that you can imagine. And the thing about false teachers is that they're simply wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, If you saw the link, or I guess I didn't actually share the link, but I was told of a song that I I wanted everybody to listen to or whatever during the week, kind of as prepared, you kind of really get the gist of of what's out there. Um, And the thing about false teachers is they're, typically very um, difficult to see because they appear to be one of us, right? I mean, that's the purpose, is they're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? So they disguise themselves in order to lead astray. Now, the thing with false teachers are some of them deliberately do it. Some of them deliberately try to mislead. That's um, whatever, if it's, you know, just satanic spirit, narcissism, whatever, they, they try to actually mislead people on purpose. But then you have some that are just not even realizing they're misleading. But nonetheless, it's still false teachers um, teaching false truths um, that attempt to dig into the people of God and, and deceive the people of God or, or to separate the people of God or to tear apart the people of God. And so for Christians, we must be on guard and, and we must be meditating on God's word and we must be studying sound theology so that we're prepared um, to spot false teachers and, spo- and spot false teaching and, and to fight against those things, right? So the main idea for 1 John 4, 1 through 6 today is that Christians will study God's word, rightly confess Jesus as Lord and find comfort from the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at the Word and try to find our confidence and assurance to be able to do this very thing, to test the Spirit. So if you will, let's stand. I want to read 1 John 4, 1 through 6. And I want to pray for our time together. And we will begin to unpack this passage this morning. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit 
of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. All wise Father, we as your people have this tendency to um, abuse grace. To just overly rest in our assurance sometimes to the point where we neglect the reading and the studying of your word and the the living out the life you have called us to live. We have not been saved to just do nothing. For those who have confessed Jesus, we have been saved by you for you. We've been set apart for your purposes. And so this morning, as we look into this word, may we be reminded of our confidence and assurance in you. To live the life you have set us apart to live. To to live as we are called. To be light shining in a dark place. To be prepared to stand against those who stand against you. To be ready to see when error is in front of our face. In other words, Father, we ask that you would continue to work in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Renewing our minds by the good news of your gospel and changing us into the image of Jesus. Preparing us as your bride for the wedding supper of the Lamb. So we ask a few things this morning. We ask that we'll be ready to hear. To hear from your word. Your beautiful, inspired, inerrant word. To hear the truths that you would have us to hear. We ask that you would open our hearts, clear our minds, and tear down any walls that might be there. To receive your truth, to embody your truth, and to live out your truth. We ask that you would bless the reading of your word. As we've said already, it's beautiful, it's inspired, it's inerrant. We ask that you would speak through your Holy Spirit. It would not be my words, God, but it would be your words for each and every one of us. We ask that you would meet us where we are. Every one of us here has a different story. We have a a different background. We have different situations in life. We have different hopes and dreams and failures. But your word meets every need. And lastly, Father, we ask that you would just find glory in our time together. 
You are worthy of every song we could sing, every word we could say, every passage we could read and preach. And we pray that we would glorify you in all things today. So we do ask you to meet us here in your word. Continue working in and through us as the people you have set us apart to be. May we find encouragement in your word. May we be afflicted by your word. May we find confidence in your word and assurance. That all points to Jesus is not only the ultimate hope, but our only hope. And it's in Christ's glorious name that we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So he begins in verse 1. Again, he's just a little catch up. He is... John is warning this church of false teachers. He's warning them of this group that has arisen amongst them and has pulled out that is teaching um, stuff that goes against the nature and the character of Jesus. They have denied that Jesus is the true Messiah, that he's actually God in the flesh. Um, And there's some really odd things that they're saying And this is actually the third time now that John has put forth a warning to the church. And what these false teachers ultimately are doing is they are saying and claiming that they're being led by the Spirit in this teaching, that it's, um, quote-unquote, a new revelation, if you will, um, that they have been given about Christ, and they are teaching this. But the reality is, is they're not actually being led by the Spirit, or at least not the Holy Spirit, right? See, again, most false teachers would claim that they're being led by the Spirit. They're they're doing the work of God in whatever they're saying. However, just because someone says they're from God or that they're led by the Spirit doesn't mean they are. We are so quick in our day... To just accept what is being said or put forth because it holds the title of Christian. But we have to remember that Satan is the father of lies and he's full and propelled by deception. And scripture even says that he even clothes himself as an angel of light. And so we must be careful to not simply believe everything that claims it is from God, especially now in our day, right? With the rise of the internet and social media, it is easier than ever to just quickly gain access to any and everything we want. And with that, and to a a good side of it, there are people that are putting forth um, wonderful resources. Um, You know, every week, um, one of the things that, that Byron does is he puts forth music resources that we encourage you to listen to, that we um, want to sing here and outside of 
just the walls of the church that um, both teach theology and, and help encourage the soul through the Word of God. And that's only possible because of the internet and social media, right? To be able to share YouTube videos of, of these songs and, and being able to share playlists that you can listen to. But then the flip side is that we also see this influx of false teachers and false teaching that run rampant across the internet that people dive headfirst into because it claims that it's a church or claims that it's a Christian without ever actually digging in and say, is this truly of God? Is it truly biblical, right? But what John is doing here, and, and that's this very first point, is that he's offering a tender warning to the church, right? The nature of this warning is a little different. He's coming with them with this tender call for discernment. It's really for him this pastoral plea. He's aching for them to not be led astray. His heart is gripped. That's an aspect of pastoral ministry that often doesn't get considered. I... I, I say I, but we all do. We all see a lot of people that make jokes about people becoming pastors because we only work one day a week and and all of that good stuff. And um, a lot of people want to become ministers for the wrong reasons because we get to stand in front of people and maybe we're narcissistic and we get to teach and we get to have people look and listen to us. But the hard side of that is exactly what we see John doing. He's loving the people till it hurts. Right? There's this pastoral pain that he sees his people being led astray, and, and, he, and he's broken over what he is seeing. Because apparently there is a, a portion, uh, we don't really know the number, of the church that he's referring to here that have actually fallen prey to the teaching of these false teachers, and they've left. They've, they've listened to this... Um, sect of their church that is not glorifying Christ as the Messiah, and they've listened, and and it's evident that he loves them deeply, and he's and he's simply aching for them to return to Christ. That's his desire. He's he's simply saying, beloved, do not believe every spirit. I mean, you you can hear the the tone, especially as you read through First John, you just kind of see his. His deep love and care for the people. And, and you see that in this tender warning that he's offering. And so in order to help them, he, he goes from this warning to kind of flesh out a test, a, a test of discernment, right? And, and the test is that everything actually hinges on Jesus, right? We, we've said it numerous times that Jesus is the center of everything, right? If we, if we miss Jesus, if we mess up our understanding of Jesus, then we kind of miss the whole point, right? Uh, redemption isn't possible without Christ and a, and a right understanding of Christ. Salvation isn't sweet if we miss the fact that he actually came and he came as God in the flesh and that he gave his life as a ransom for many. And we see that in Verse 2, he says, by this, you know, right? And, and you see this over and over again that, that John uses this phrase to, to reassure them, to remind them. He says, by this, you know, the Spirit of God. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from 
God. So again, what is the test? The test is that those who are confessing Jesus as God incarnate, as God in the flesh, is from God. And you have to be really careful at how people say they believe that. Because one of the the prominent teachings that was happening is that Jesus wasn't necessarily God come to man, that Jesus was actually a normal man, right, that inherited the spirit of Christ, and then on the cross, the spirit of Christ actually left him, and that Jesus, the man, died, and he moved on, and then we had the Holy Spirit, right? So it's this misunderstanding, but that's not what happened. Jesus was actually God. And he was actually God come to man. That's the beauty of the gospel, that God would come for us. And so just in that slight misinterpretation of the scripture, that slight misleading in their teaching was leading people astray. It was so close to being the right thing. That without a right understanding of scripture and a right understanding of the, the ways and the plans and the nature of God, we could easily be led astray, right? And that's what we see in false teachers today. You get just enough truth that without understanding, fully understanding the word, we take the bait, right? It's very similar to fishing, right? The purpose of fishing, especially with artificial bait, is to make it look like something that they would typically go after. Unless it's something that I saw on the internet last week, which I thought was hilarious. And it was, I thought it was a joke, but apparently was not. Um, This fly fishing company had developed this fly that actually looked like a taco. No joke. It was a little yellow hard taco shell, and it had the little colors in it that looked identical to a taco, and they were actually catching fish with it. Um, obviously, those were really hungry fish, and they would have just bitten anything that was there. But typically, right, the bait looks very similar to something that they would see in their natural habitat, right? That's the point, right? You throw the bait, they grab it, and you have them. And that's exactly what we see in false teaching, is it looks so close to the right thing that without a right understanding of the word and, and a, a longing to know the things of God, we can easily miss it and easily fall prey right now the thing is it's an understanding that jesus is god right not that he's simply good not that he's godly not that he's a positive example not that he's a good teacher not that he's somebody we should imitate but that he is actually truly god in the flesh And so we can't just simply believe in Jesus, right? It's If we went out of here right now and we went to town, let's say we picked Huddle House, and we went into Huddle House, and we polled everyone there, right? Now, note the time. like It's 1130 almost. Um, And we... (laughs) Did you say bacon? (laughs) Goodness gracious. Sorry. Yeah. Um, if we went to Huddle House at 1130 and we went in there and say there are 25 people in there and we polled those 25 people, do you know how many people, if we simply asked the question, do you believe in Jesus, would say yes? Probably most of them, if not all. 
But it's not simply belief, right? It's confessing that he is the Christ. It's confessing that Jesus is God. It's believing that God raised him from the dead. As scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So it's, it's confession of our sin. It's confession that we need Christ to save us. It's surrender to him. It's not just simple, easy believism, right? Because scripture says that even the demons believed and they shudder, right? So what we see, if we poll all of, say we go out and we poll another hundred people and we ask, do you believe in Jesus? And they say, yes. Well, how does it affect your life? And their life looks no different than what we actually see is the demons had it more right than they did. Because at least they had a fear of God. They shuddered at the thought of the majesty of Christ. But yet we just kind of flippantly say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Let me just do my thing. So we have to invest into understanding the word of God. That's the discernment test is we have to understand the word to be able to discern. Is it actually of the word? It goes on in in verse three, he says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we talked about earlier in John's letter. Which you heard was coming and is in the world already. When we begin to discern the word of God and we begin to understand what God has set us apart to do. And we begin to understand that we should stand firm in the gospel. What we're going to quickly realize is that standing firm in the gospel is extremely difficult. And and calling out false teachers, it will leave you hated. Because there are so many who are deceived by them. If... We start openly proclaiming false teachers for who they are. You're going to have a lot more people hate you than like you. Right? But it doesn't negate the fact that we're set apart to do these things. Right? I mean, that's why Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. We, we have to stand firm on the word of God. We have been set apart. And remember, it's... Narrow is the way that leads to life, and wide or broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Right? We must hold fast to the word of God. And the thing is, is it, it takes boldness, right? It takes boldness to declare the truth of Jesus. And that boldness comes from studying the word and trusting the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, what I don't want you to get from this is that you have to be the perfect theologian. Because none of us are going to be perfect theologians, right? But we can try to understand the scripture, right? Um, I heard a, I read a quote, uh, it was probably this past week or the week before, and I'm going to try to get it right. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but it was a quote from Spurgeon, big shocker. And it says that there's enough dust on our Bibles to write damnation across the front of them. That, that's hard stuff, right? And we, we say, again, we say we believe in Jesus. And we even do Jesus things. But yet we don't love him enough to even want to hear from him. It's kind of odd, 
doesn't seem, doesn't seem to work, right? If we love someone, we want to spend time with that person, right? I mean, I've never seen anyone that truly loves someone, and they just like, yep, yeah, see you in a year, and I'm good with that. It doesn't work that way, you know? But that's how flippantly we approach Christ and his word. So it is important to know the word. It's important to read the word. Again, in Psalms, we read that it says, your word I've hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you. What, what helps me to fight the temptation of sin and what helps me to long for godliness? The help that I'm provided through the Holy Spirit in the word. And so it is important to begin to grasp what is sound theology. It's important to develop some type of understanding of biblical doctrine. Because if anything begins to add to or deny or take away from Scripture, it's not from God. So when someone automatically steps up and say, I have a new revelation from the Lord, and it goes against Scripture, it's not from the Lord. Or not from Jesus. It might be from the Lord Satan, right? But it's not from Christ. And if anything begins to deny Scripture, it's not from God. You know, there's a lot that's made up of, about how uh, godly of a man Thomas Jefferson was, but um, from what I've read, Thomas Jefferson basically went through and cut out all the portions of Scripture that had anything to do with the miraculous and put together his own little Bible. Um, that's not a Christian, right? Now, we can only hope that towards the end of his life that began to change, but we don't just take away the parts we don't like. It's all the Word of God. It's the whole counsel of God's Word. And I'm here to say this, that as opposed to popular belief, doctrine is vitally important. We live in a day where everybody says, we don't need that stuff, all we need is love. But that's not really it. We can't have true love if we don't understand what true love is. And we can't understand what true love is without understanding the Word of God. Right? So we desperately need to know the Word. We need to study the Word. We need to understand what the Word is saying. And the more we begin to see that and we begin to see the beauty of, of God's story of redemption unfolding, the more we're captivated by how much he has truly given and loved us. And so he, in this short part of the letter, he kind of then turns back to this comforting word. He's reassuring the true Christians with this tender and affectionate Word, he said, little children, you are from God. He's reminding them of their stance before God. Right? That those who rightly confess that Jesus is the Lord and they have surrendered to him, they are his. You are his. Just think about that. He is your God. He is your Savior, and, and if that's true, then He is also your identity. So you are not like those who are in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for He is, who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You are from God. And if you are from God, then you are set apart to be different. You are not like those in the world. 
we should live differently because we're living as a reflection of Christ. And then he reminds them that they have overcome. This is a portion of this that I've kind of overlooked in the past, but as I was kind of studying, I was like, man, that's pretty good stuff right there. See, because what he's saying, and and I feel like it really just speaks to who God has set us apart as a church, a a large portion, or it seems, that's what commentators believe, that a large portion of the people, again, had left to follow these false teachers. And he's he's writing to to the ones who remain, and he's encouraging them. Little children, you are from God. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They left, but you remained. You have overcome. Their ears might have been tickled, and, and the message of the false teachers was appealing, and, and their wants of what church should be might have been fulfilled, but, but you overcame that temptation to just go after the shining things, and you remained steadfast in the Lord, and you held fast to the word of God, and... You're here. So as an encouragement, I want to say, hold fast. You know, it, it's easy to be quickly led astray. And it's easy to give in. But when God has called us to do something specific, He's done so for a purpose. And as Philippians says, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. So hold fast. Press on. Remain steadfast in the truth that you have heard at first. And their comfort is in knowing, and knowing that they have overcome is in the fact that the Holy Spirit is living within them, Right? So again, those who confess Christ and who are saved by Christ were given the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to help us. And the Spirit of God is then living within us. That alone should just kind of wreck us for a little bit. You know, when when Jesus was getting ready to ascend to heaven, he he told his disciples, I gotta go. And they're like, but why? You died and now you're alive. Things are about to get really good. And he's basically saying, but I I have to go. And when I do, I'm going to send someone better. And he sends the Spirit to live within and amongst his people. And what happened? The church exploded. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It may seem that Satan is winning. Everywhere we turn, we see evil, we see bad things, we see sickness, we see pain, we see hurt. Right? But he's not. And he will not. Jesus is greater. 
always has been, always will be. And so we should be comforted in knowing that, that Christ is our rock, that He is our fortress. And that for those who have surrendered to Christ, that the Spirit of God is living within us. And He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. And we should be comforted in that truth and we should be encouraged and given courage in that truth. Psalm 27, 1 and 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's comforting the church to not only just hold fast, but hold fast and then go. Don't just listen to the good news and just harbor it within Let it change us. Let it reflect who, whose, whom's we are. Not an English person. Listen to this. We, a couple weeks ago, we, we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism, um, one of the questions, and, and I want to go back to that um, in, in a different question, the very first one, right? So the Heidelberg Catechism is a, um, a collection of question and answers put together in the middle 1500s. And it's kind of a, um, a culmination of Scripture, um, the Lord's Prayer, and, and, and a few other resources. And they, they pull them together and put together these questions and answers that, that help us understand what Scripture is teaching, right? And, and traditionally in churches, and when I say traditionally, I don't mean like our, our grandparents or our parents, right? I mean like traditionally, long time ago, um, churches actually would require people to be able to recite a catechism, depending on which one, before they could even become a member of the church, right? Um, Mainly to protect the church, but to protect the individuals that make up the church as well. And so the Heidelberg Catechism is, is one of those catechisms, and this is the very first question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And this is the answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. You see the beauty there? You see why it's so important to understand not only just that Jesus was a good man, but that Jesus was God and that he gave his life as a ransom for his people. And my comfort is in knowing that I'm not my own, but I am his. And that he loved me enough to give himself for me. And that he has secured my soul for eternity. And out of gratitude to what he has done, wholeheartedly willing, as we just read, to live for him forever. I 
we overcome. And kind of a, a last note, we, we must be on guard, right? Because false teachers do abound. They're everywhere. And they're usually the easiest to be attracted to. It looks good. If it's shiny, we want it. If it's flashy, that's what we want. If it's making a promise, that's what we want to go after. And probably more so now in our culture than maybe ever before. We have changed as a people. right? We're not the same as a people as we were. Are we still sinners? Absolutely. But I feel like my generation, generation especially, and the one coming after me, we're the most entitled people ever. And we want things our way. We want things that fit us. And what we see is that churches have just kind of adopted that same mentality, and so we're just going to just give people what they want. Rather than understand, we've got to give them what they need. Listen to this quote from Ray Van Nest. A message tailored to the desires of the world will always find a following, but it will not lead to life. So the comforting word is that we are not our own. We are His. He has paid, bought us with a price. He has paid our ransom. And we're no longer ours. So why do we live for ourselves? Let us live for the glory of the Lord. And he closes out these few verses with a strong confirmation. Verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John begins to twist his tone a little. And he was urging them to return to Christ, to to remember the love they had at first. And then in verse 6, he kind of changes it a little. He says, we are from God. And he puts himself in the same category with the church. That they collectively have been redeemed by Christ. And they are from God. We are from God. We are in this together. And he uses that to help them understand that their confidence and their their desire for life and for mission is Jesus as God in the flesh. Why would we want to live according to the scripture if we didn't believe The God of the scriptures. It's not appealing. Until we understand that we have been purchased by Christ. That our sin debt has been erased. By the blood shed on Calvary. And so our confidence. Our assurance. Our rest. Is in Christ and Christ alone. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand and and think that everyone who simply claims they are from God actually are from God, right? Again, we must use Scripture 
and discernment as we're led by the Holy Spirit to test the spirits. If someone claims to have a word from God, let's go to the word of God and see if it backs that up. If someone claims to have figured out a new way of doing things, let's go to the word of God and see if the word of God confirms it. If someone has a message about Christ and salvation, let's go to the word of God and confirm it. Let's don't simply be a people who are just kind of ignorant to the word of God and just willing to share any and everything and and dive headlong into whatever we hear. Personally, I love the second part of verse six. He said, whoever knows God listens to us and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That means that those who are from God actually love the preaching of the Bible. We love the Word of God. We, we love to hear the Word of God expounded and expressed clearly so that we can understand how great and how majestic Christ is. Even when it afflicts. Even when it hurts. To be able to hear the Word of God and to rejoice over the work of God in our lives. Even when it leads to pruning and even when it leads... To the rod not being spared. Not only when it makes us feel good. Not only when our ears are tickled. But when it makes much of the glorious King Jesus. This is part of why we believe that expositional preaching is so vitally important. Because it doesn't allow us to just skip over the parts that are hard. And that are uncomfortable. I mean, you might not know this, but I'm not a great planner. That might catch you off guard. That was a joke. When I feel led to dive into a book of the Bible to preach through it, um, Sometimes I, I, I'm able to just kind of work through it and come up with an outline for like the months and, and year or whatever that we're going to be and roughly. Um, but I don't prepare like my, I, I know pastors that prepare their messages a year and two in advance. Uh, they have like this detailed preaching calendar and that ain't for me. I tried that. I failed miserably. It didn't work. Right. But part of the beauty of that for me is it allows me to not select where we're going based on what I do and don't want to say and or even refrain from saying. And so it leads us to hard places. But it's in those hard places where the gospel really acts as a sandpaper that kind of rums up against us and refines us and makes us into the image of Jesus. To be able to go to the word of God and understand its sufficiency and authority and let the word of God speak clearly to us. And the flip side is then that those who don't know God or are not from God are not going to want to hear the pure message of the gospel. They're going to want something that has similarities but really kind of speaks to what they want. They're not going to listen to what God is saying. And so the the reception of, of biblical preaching, again, in the hard and the easy times... And, and being able to, to receive and, and soak in God's truth in His Word 
or even the lack of receiving it, really kind of speaks to our true spirit. That's why he says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the point is, is to be able to test the spirits, to be able to discern what is true and false. How can we do that? We, we must make reading the word in, an important part of our lives, right? And we must be willing to listen to the spirit of God as he leads. And, and just a reminder, because a lot of people, they'll say that we lead led by the spirit. But if, the, if we say that we're being led by the spirit and or if we hear someone say they're being led by the Spirit, but what they're saying contradicts the Word of God, they're not being led by the Holy Spirit, okay? So that's why the two work together, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, to refine us into the people that God has called us to be. So church, in in a world that's raging with false teachers... I want to encourage you to look to Jesus and his word. To be willing to test the spirits. Do not be deceived. And lastly, I want to just say this. Stand firm on the word of God and trust the Holy Spirit's leading as you go out making disciples. Right? Because we are to go out and make disciples, not be made disciples let's pray our father thank you so much for the word that you have given to us in your bible in the scripture that we can read and hear of the promises that you have made to us as your people that you bring redemption, that you bring life, that we have been bought with a price. And so let us in return glorify you with our bodies, with everything that we have. And Father, may we be reinvigorated with a desire to study your word, to know your word so that we can be prepared to rest in the work of Jesus and fight for the truth of your scriptures. That we would be willing to go to war with Christ as our banner. I thank you for the ministry that you have set us apart at New City to do. And I pray that we would just continue to honor you in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.